Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Well, um, uh, we're glad you're able to join us tonight. We're in our last week, like I said, on our relationship series uh, panel. We're going to answer some questions tonight, but who's ready to grow tonight? Anyone here ready to grow? It's been uh, such, yeah, me, right? Yeah. It's been such a a helpful and fruitful uh, series that we've been in from the Sunday morning messages to the uh, Q&As on the Sunday nights. And I want us to just press in, even if you're single, even if you're, if you're divorced, whatever state of, of life you are in, these, uh, relation, these are questions about relationships that can often be translated into other situations. And it often has to deal with our hearts and our, our obedience to the scriptures. So don't check out. I want you to press in and, and really just uh, sense what the Lord is doing in your heart uh, through this Q&A panel. So we have an amazing uh, panel. So why don't you introduce yourself, starting with you, Pastor Sam Rebecca. Introduce yourself and how many kids you have, and then we'll go down the list, okay? Go for it. All right, well, I'm Samuel, and I've got five. I'm Becca, and I also have five. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you were looking for? (laughs) Yes, exactly, yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, we have five. Sometimes it feels like ten. (laughs) I'm Amanda, and we have four. I'm Daniel, and before we make it any further, I wanted to let any of the parents know, I see some small heads in here, we are taking on your questions, and some of the questions that that you guys asked uh, may cause explaining if you have little ones in here. And so, we have a great kids' ministry. If you don't want to explain, then uh, kids' ministry it is, Um, and if you chose, then you get to be the one to have the conversation with them, which is uh, a powerful thing, but you chose it. Hi, I'm Rachel, and we have four beautiful children together. <laughs> and I am Tim, and let's go. Four kids. We're good to go. Let's go. A lot, that's a lot of uh, uh, parenting um, wisdom that we could maybe tap into tonight as well. So let's start off with our first question. Uh, before marriage, what problems do you work through, and when do you run, a.k.a. end it? Here's a little explanation. Me and my partner have been on and off for four years Um, He has cheated uh, and been emotionally and physically abusive. I know I have all the good reasons to leave. I'm trying to lay down some boundaries. Um, I've now put him out of my home and am now trying to abstain from sex until I get married. He has a problem with that and I'm struggling to let go. I'm not sure what to do. Should I just cut him off completely? So who would like to jump on that one? Yes, cut him off completely. Yes. I agree with that. Run, don't look back, and run, run, run. Yeah, I'm, I completely stand together with that. Um, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 says, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? Marriage, marriage is a magnifier. Um, you're not going to get something new when you cross the, the line from um, dating into marriage. And if what's already been displayed um, are all the fruits that were read, um, it's just going to get magnified when you're, when you're married. Uh, I think this person already knows what they should do, hence the reason that they stated it, but don't want to. And sometimes you need friends that will tell you to, um, to stop, pull your head out of the sand, and what you need to do. But one of the things I wanted to mention, the question's a great question for all of us of going, hey, if you're, if you're single, when, what do you work through, and what do you run from? Um, I, I loved what you said, marriage is a magnifier. Um, if they have anger issues, getting married won't fix their anger issues. If they have self-control issues, getting married won't fix it. Luke chapter 16, verse 10 says that if you're faithful with little, you're faithful with much. And part of the purpose of dating is going, hey, how are you with things? What are you like? Because I know that, that you're going to not magically be instantly better just because we put a ring on. And so recognizing if you wouldn't want that in your spouse, then don't make them your spouse. Yeah. Sometimes we want to date somebody and go, well, they have potential. Well, that's cool. Marry them once I reach it. Um, and, and here's the thing. It, you cannot complain that they're exactly what you picked. 
If the character that they have isn't something you want to be married to, glad you figured it out. Don't marry them. Run now. Um, and you go, well, does that mean that they could never be something? Well, don't, don't keep pursuing that. And if later they change and grow and become awesome, great. Date them and marry them then. That's good. Yeah, can I chime in on that one? Sure. I just want to say to who wrote this question, thank you for being brave and being honest and being, having courage to start the process of getting, taking care of you. Um, I'm just so proud of you. And uh, I think Amanda and Daniel hit this a little bit. I think it was Daniel, actually, that you really need a community to come around you as well. I think the one thing I would suggest is getting plugged into your local church. If it's here, get involved in your age-related ministry, go to a Bible study, women's ministry, come and meet with any of us, come up to us, we would love to meet with you. I had an illustration for this. So a couple weeks ago, Tim was gone for five nights and I had all four kids by myself and I woke up really early in the morning and I went to wash my face. And both of these bottles look pretty similar, right? So I was kind of discombobulated because I was single parenting <laughs> for five days. And I reached in to my drawer and I grabbed this bottle, which looks pretty similar to this at 5 a.m. And I opened it up, but I smelt menthol. Thankfully, I smelt menthol because I almost washed my face with Biofreeze. And I think what happens... <laughs> is you, when we are seeking to be in a relationship with somebody, you can see good on the outside. You could even see like maybe this one's harmful. This is abuse. This is, you know, sexual immorality out of the confines of marriage. This is um, manipulation. This is not respecting your boundaries. But you don't find that out until you start to open it up and you start to smell its fruit. You start to taste its fruit through getting to know them not eating them. Um, but this is to cleanse you. And that's what a healthy relationship should do. It should cleanse. It should, you know, purify you. It should bring out the good in you. That's going to be a healthy dating relationship. This, I couldn't even wash this off my face to stop the pain. I could maybe wipe the residue out. But once this gets on me, this is being absorbed into me. And this would hurt for a long time. <laughs> I mean, even your eyes. I wash my eyes with it. So I think this was a good illustration the Holy Spirit just gave me. Mm. And it might hurt as you're detaching and you're taking care of yourself. But I promise you that God's going to honor that. And I promise you that God will even honor taking care of this gentleman's heart. You know, because you're being example of, you know, having courage and doing what your convictions are because it's what the word of God says and how you want to live your life for him. That's good. Let's go to question two. Uh, for getting married, what is the most sacred part of the wedding ceremony and what makes it significant? Okay, nobody says anything. All right. Um, number one is it's public. It's public. There's all kinds of things that people do in private that they would never do in public. So number one is you're going public with this. And the other thing is it is a covenant before God. It is a covenant before God. You're not waiting for a piece of paper. You're entering into a covenant and you're doing it publicly. Um, I think when I, when, I, when I hear this question, what I do is I immediately think of which part of the ceremony, like as in... Um, and my wife and I talked about this for a little bit, and the, the thing that we kind of landed on was when you, when you give uh, the vows and you make that declaration. Um, and I've, been, um, I've had the ability to do weddings. I've been at several weddings. We're married. Um, and through all of those, there's always those vows, and there's always those moments where you say, I'm going to choose to put you. And we, we fabricate them in a lot of different words, but... A lot of times it's, I choose to put you above myself, above my comfort, above my needs. I choose to put you. And then I think next with that, the aspect of walking that out and choosing to walk that out. So I really thought the vows are probably right up there. That's great. Those are great answers. Let's move to number three. What if your spouse can't have sex? 
Um, my husband thinks it's unrealistic to think that everyone has sex since many men have uh, ED or erectile dysfunction. Um, and it's too embarrassing to talk about. And so some men just don't have sex because they don't want to use the drugs that come along with it. So what if your spouse can't have sex? I'll talk. I've got a microphone. <laughs> um, I immediately think of how our body is not our own. When we enter into marriage, it's dual ownership, essentially, over our body. So, like, for me, my body isn't just mine. It's also Rachel's. And her body isn't just hers. It's also mine. So I think there has to be, first of all, I think just, like, a starting conversation with with this, it's not just one person makes a decision. When I hear this question, the first thing I think about is they're, they're in different places. So the problem is more the unity more than anything else. Um, and then apart from that, I think just practically there are things you can do that might not be the physical act of sex that can help bring fulfillment in things. And I'll pass it to someone else. First uh, Corinthians chapter 7 is it's talking about the fact that your body isn't your own. Um, when you get married, that you're giving it to your spouse and then it tells you not to deprive each other. And our world tries to define sex as an act that you do, it's done, accomplished, checked off a list. But in the Bible, it says it's so much more than that. And he says, hey, for this reason, a man's going to leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two are going to become one flesh. And in uh, 1 Corinthians 6.16, it, it it uh, spells it out that, hey, this is when they have sex, they are becoming one. And recognizing that this isn't just an itch to be scratched, that this is actually something that brings unity in between you and in your marriage. I was just listening to a teaching the other day, and they were talking about how when you have sex with somebody, and they, they went in a little bit on the negative of just when you do, you can end up with some of the same hang-ups that they do. It doesn't make any sense logically, but there is, there is something spiritual where you become united. And we have seen stupid things in our marriage where we have become similar. Like, to the point where when we got married, she liked her toast charred, and I liked it warm. Um, and, uh, and then one day she brings me a bagel and there's two bagel, like two sides of it. One's toasted like severely and one is not. And she gives me the charred one. And I'm like, that's kind of random. She goes, I forgot which one I'm supposed to like. I wanted that one. I just knew we were separate and I wanted one that wasn't. And it was, it was silly, but there's, there's this, literally there's a coming together and a becoming. And when you recognize that I gave her all of me, I gave her my body, and it says that I am not to withhold that. That if one of us physically is not able to perform in that way, there are other ways. And it's going, well, what can I do to come together with you um, as my wife sexually? Because I am not to deprive you, and that's an important part of our marriage, and it brings unity. And when it comes to medical, like, hey, doesn't want to use or see a doctor, uh, talk about it. Just, just go see somebody. Go, go see somebody. Tell them, hey, this is what's going on. Ah, I don't like it. Just, just do it. Um, plain and simple. James 5.16 is just on the importance of being able to actually talk about the things that we struggle with. James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another and be healed. We go to God for forgiveness, and healing comes when we confess one to another. And you you need to be able to talk about it. God forgives, yet he says healing one to another. We confess, and then they pray. And that's where healing comes. So I would encourage you both that you need to confess so that you you can have somebody pray for you. Absolutely. And then if a little blue pill helps, get a bottle. And there's... There's non-drug options. Like if someone is struggling, no matter what the struggle, um, I saw this question coming and I'm like, are there options? I'm like, there's, there's, there's a bunch of options and they'll sit there and go through going, if you don't want drugs, here's your list of options of, of things that may help. So um, 
Yeah, don't, just because there's a challenge in your marriage, don't park and not go forward. And shame is a big thing that Satan likes to use. So when it comes to things that we struggle with, every single one of us in here has things that we struggle with. There are different things that we struggle with physically. There are things that we struggle with emotionally, mentally. Um, And shame is a huge strategy that darkness likes to use. Um, And so I would just say when it comes to the embarrassment and the shame for the spouse who's like, hey, we we need to make this happen, um, be gentle. Be gentle in that and recognize that you've been in a place of embarrassment. You've been in a place of of shame before. But we cannot let that be a tool that Satan uses against us. Revelation tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And so one of the greatest things to do in that situation is to get bold enough to be like, you know what? Like, I don't know if you guys heard this morning, Samuel shared about his struggles. And part of that is that's how we overcome So getting to the place where you're like, hey, we actually, we can find victory in this and it can become part of our testimony and and it can help the entire body of Christ. And then I would also say, um, if there are some ways that the ED is, are there some areas that the ED is not affecting you? Like if you are able to perform in some areas and just not with your wife, then that needs to be addressed. Absolutely. And the church wants to be there for couples that are struggling with this. I mean, this happens right off the bat with marriage. We have couples that we know that it's just unsuccessful outcomes. You know, waited or have maybe had a past. No matter what, there's every scenario we've seen. And it's our heart to help, you know, encourage, to help you find help. We know wonderful, you know, Christ-centered sex therapists through Winning at Home. We have amazing doctors that help people. Just don't feel embarrassed and know that there's people right here at church that want to help and walk through this too. That's really good. Let's uh, jump to our next question. Many churches and society find gay marriage to be okay. What does the Bible say? What it is or what are Res Life's beliefs? Not everybody all at once. All right. No, it's, a, it's an important question, and culture keeps pushing it and um, shoving their opinion on everybody and then trying to shame anybody who has a different opinion than them. Um, so <clears throat> I have an opinion, but in reality, my opinion doesn't matter. God's opinion matters. And... And we get to choose not to live for what's convenient, not to live for what someone I like would like me to choose, but what does God choose? Um, and so I look, and in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, he said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of, of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor rilers, swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. And he takes this on, and he goes, all of these things are sin. And he goes, you can't live for sin and for God simultaneously. They are different directions. Someone may make a mistake and trip in something, but if you are choosing, going, I'm going to embrace this, he goes, that's wrong. And so, according to him, um, that's a sin. And if you look, and so I've, I've talked to somebody, and they're like, well, what word was used for homosexuality right there. Are you sure that that word wasn't an abusive term for an older man with a little boy and not just, not all-encompassing of homosexuality? And the Bible covers a good bit on, on it, and you see different examples of it. But in Leviticus, it lays out the sexual expectations and says, here's all the sex that's allowed and sex that's not allowed. It's like, if it's your mom, don't do it. If it, and it goes through this list. And it's like, you can't have sex with all these people that you're related to. And you can't have sex with animals. And you shouldn't have sex with people of the same sex. And it goes through and it lists this. And it goes, all right, 
Sex is for a husband and a wife inside of marriage. Throughout the Bible after that, when it references sexual immorality, sexual immorality would be sex outside of the parameters that were listed. And as you go through, I was just reading through Revelation, and over and over again, when God's calling things out, he calls them out on their sexual immorality, which isn't to pinpoint um, homosexuality or LGBTQ plus and all the letters that may come following, but that would be somebody who's having sex in any of those areas or someone who's looking at pornography, someone who's, who's going outside of the bounds for sex that God stated. And, and I love that verse in Corinthians because he doesn't go, hey, all of you who have done any of these things to hell with you. He looks and goes, and such were some of you. He goes, all of these different things have marked different ones of you, but Jesus. But there is healing. But there's forgiveness. But there's hope. And, and so often people go, but, but does that mean that, that I can't ever meet my desires? Do you realize that all of us have desires that we cannot or should not meet? Has anyone ever desired to run someone off the road? Okay. Just saying. Um, I figured everyone could relate to that one. But all of us have, have some kind of a desire at some point, And following Jesus means I am no longer setting the course based on my desires. It's going, God, I am following you. You aren't Lord in my life if you don't get to set the direction. And so often we go, but I don't want to. Well, that's why you're following. Um, it's because we're letting him set the direction. That's good. That's good. I, I might just add. I might just add one thing um, to anyone who is same-sex attracted. When we say that that we see in the Bible that it teaches that that biblical marriage is between one man and one woman, we're not saying that you don't belong in church. We're not saying that God hates you. What we're saying is, is that everyone up here has broken sexuality. I was speaking to young adults and I spoke a message and I, and, I, and I kind of was playing off this idea of purity and I was like, I didn't have sex before I married so I considered myself pure. But then all the while, I was looking at porn, I was objectifying women. But for some reason, we, we like, in the conservative Christian circles, we like to say, well, as long as you don't do certain sins, then you're pure, but if these other sins, then you're impure. And that's not how God views. If you look at Matthew 5, he says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Like, you are a sexual, sexually immoral person in the eyes of God. And the point, isn't that, the point isn't to say that this life's impossible. The point is to say that sexual purity is impossible, whether you're heterosexual or you're, homo, or you're attracted to the same sex. And the point and the solution is sacrifice the idol of sex and follow Jesus and find fulfillment in him. That is the gospel. It is to deny ourselves, whether you are heterosexual or you are, or you are same-sex attracted. I don't like, personally, I don't like the term homosexual because it kind of relates to identity. It's more so with practicing homosexuality. And lastly, the thing that I'd say um, in, in the sense of like, do we believe, um, are we okay with it? What do we believe? We believe that marriage is between one man, one woman, but we also believe that like sex is not the end all be all. We live in a, we live in a culture that glorifies sex to the nth degree. We have the, the average age of exposure to pornography is eight years old and then it's getting younger and younger and everyone's being exposed to sex and, and, and sexual images. We live in a hyper-sexualized culture that likes to idolize it and I'd say is that's not God. God loves sex, he created it, but it is not the center of his world and it shouldn't be the center of ours. And so whether it's you're single and you're attracted to, the, to opposite sex or you're single and attracted to the same sex, the solution is the same. Go to Jesus to find a fulfillment in him and you can live a life that is wonderfully glorifying to God, expanding his kingdom. When you get to heaven, he will say, well done, good and faithful service. And the last thing I'll say, I know this is my, thing, I think my second last, <laughs> is, that, um, is that the people who have taught me most about what it means to be sexually pure as a Christian are three same-sex attracted people who have, who have forfeited their desire to follow Jesus. 
One guy named um, Brad Claver, who's spoken to our young adults as a counselor at Winning Home. Lori Krieg, who's a, an author and a communicator. And then um, Cy Rogers, who's been to this church before. The people who have taught me the most of what it means to be a follower of Christ in the area of sexuality are three people who are attracted to the same sex and one who is an ex-transgender. And I say that to say that God's heart is not to make us heterosexual, it is to make us Christ-like. Before we drive off of this one, I wanted to mention one more thing. Um, The devil is a liar, and the Bible says that he's the accuser of the brethren. And one of the things that hangs up a lot of people is shame and shame over desire. Um, and, And here's the thing. Um, temptation, Bible says, is sure to come. And the idea that you are being tempted means that you have a desire for something that is not right. Jesus was tempted yet without sin. Being tempted, having a wrong desire doesn't, is not a sin. If you park in it, James will go on and say, if you park on that idea and on that desire, that desire will conceive in you and give birth to action that will be sin. But if you go, no, I'm not going to sit here and meditate on how much I want to just run that guy off the road or look at that picture image or sleep with that person. Um, But knowing that not letting Satan pin you in a corner full of shame and hiding because you had a desire that was wrong. The fact that Jesus was tempted means that Jesus at some point had a desire that was wrong. But when he did, he resisted. And we are told to resist the enemy and that he will flee from you. And knowing whether, regardless of what your sexual temptations may be, that we will be tempted and we get to resist the enemy. That's so good. That's great. Um, question number uh, five here. How do we have a united vision, I think referencing uh, this morning's message, if we aren't on the same page spiritually? Uh, how do I have a vision for my family when my husband is a non-believer? I'm standing on First Peter 3 for him to come to Christ, but I feel we're going in different directions. Do I, try to, uh, do I have a vision for our family on my own? It's going to be really hard. And that's why the Bible says don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Now, I don't know your situation, and maybe you're like, well, I came to Christ later, and and now what do I do? And the Bible's clear on that as well, where it says if they're pleased to live with you, and then it says don't don't leave them. It's going to take a lot of work. Um, There's going to be a difference between mom and dad because one's a believer and one's not. And you're going to have to lay out a, okay, well, and your kids, as they're going to get older, they're going to realize it. But you're going to be like, well, mom and dad, we differ on this because I believe that what God's word said is, is true. And so because of that, this is, this is where we differ. And your kids are going to get to see that. But I do believe that it can be a tool that God uses as your kids watch you Honor your spouse to the best of your ability and still raise your kids with godly values and where they see the difference of those values and them working out and they're going to watch you. It's going to be a lot, lot harder. Isaiah 54 says, The children of the righteous will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace. Um, And your children... If you love the Lord, we're righteous not because of what we do, but because of whose we are. And so if I belong to the Lord, then my children will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace. And I've, I've seen, like I, I watched a woman walk through years and years and years of infidelity and she loved the Lord and her husband did not. Um, she did not know infidelity was going on until her husband left. Um, and he went and wrote this whole narrative. He'd been um, having an affair for 20 years and everybody tried to get her. They, they said to her, they said, hey, you know, doesn't it kind of stink knowing your entire marriage was a sham? You know, doesn't, doesn't that stink? And what do your kids see? And she's like, he doesn't get to rewrite my marriage. She, I was happily married. 
She said, he may, he may not have been, but I was happily married. And, and she said, you know, one of the things is I got to put in front of my kids what it is to, to love, what it is to lay my life down and not be a doormat, but explain that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love because I chose, because I made those vows. And that means something. And those gaps that, that they miss out on because mom or dad is not a believer, you, you pray, you pray, you pray, but the children of the righteous are taught by the Lord. Those gaps can be filled in by him and can be filled in by your faithfulness. And I ended with the, it's going to be hard. It will be hard, yes, but let me just say you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, and you need to rely more on God and just, you're, you're, you get to. You get to, so seek God, pray, Ask for wisdom, the words to say, instruction, and it, it can be a win. You can. You can, okay. Um, another thing that I want to say here is the Holy Spirit. Like, we need the Holy Spirit. I have dear, dear friends whose kids are in public school who listen to the Holy Spirit. I have dear friends whose kids are in private school. Those parents listen to the Holy Spirit. Our kids are homeschooled. We listen to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit so knows your exact conditions that the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom, will give you words of knowledge, will give you things to say and, and bring to remembrance things that you've read in the Word that you can highlight to your children as well. So, you know, God is teaming up on this with us, not, not against us. And so um, be in prayer. You know, for, for us, one of the big things too is um, praying in tongues, right? When we don't know exactly what to pray, letting our spirit cry out to the Lord. And, and that is huge. There have been times where both of us were like, man, we were separated like physically in different places. He was at home, I was somewhere else. And both of us were like, man, something is coming. And we didn't know. We prayed through everything we could pray through. And, and then it was like, we don't know, but we felt like we still needed to pray. And we're praying in tongues. And then later something came up that was a big deal. And, and we're like, this is why we are praying. Because the Holy Spirit knew something that was coming that we didn't know in our flesh. Um, I, would, I would also add that the same is true in the situation if you have like a divorce situation and multiple parents and kind of walking through that. It's the same kind of thing. But what I would encourage you to do as the spouse that is, uh, it sounds like the spouse that's believing the Lord and, and living for the Lord, have your vision for your kids. Now don't like run over your spouse or the other parent if it's a divorce situation. Don't like run them over, but that, that still doesn't mean you don't have your plans. I think of uh, John 10.10. 10. It says, a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that you might have life and life abundantly. So when I read that verse, I always think of it as there's two plans for every person, right? God's plan and the devil's plan. And what we do is we get up every morning and we say, God, today I choose to partner with your plan for my life, and I reject the devil's plan for my life. So if, you, if you're that, that spouse, I do think there's an okay thing to say, you want to know, I have a plan for my kids to grow up and know the Lord, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have that vision for my kids, and I'm going to respect and honor you know, the, my spouse or you know, whatever the situation, but I do think that's okay to say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be standing on... Uh, the foundation. I'm going to be standing on verses on biblical belief for my kids. Yeah. I also think that you can serve your husband and draw him to the Lord with respect and honor. I mean, do you just throw in the towel on a vision for your family? No, but maybe put it in terms um, simply and just submit it to him and just say, hey, this has really been stirring on my heart for, for our family, and I just want to share my dreams with you and, and my whys, because you mean so much, and you're the head of our home. And, like, I don't want to do this without your blessing. I can't do this. I can't fulfill this without you. And just really, I mean, submit as much as you can, because that's going to be what wins your husband's heart over, is your actions, your, you know, your honor. I know it's tough. I know it's easier said than done. In a in a believing marriage, you're, you're doing the same thing. You're submitting each other's dreams and, and goals and, and your heart passions, but you're submitting them to your spouse and saying, what do you think? 
you know, and sometimes it's a no. Sometimes it's a no indefinitely for right now, or it's a no for not right now, or maybe in the near future. But it happens in everything. But I think that you can win the heart of your spouse over in how. Just keep trying different ways. And like Becca said, pray, invite the Holy Spirit in on it, but don't give up. Just do it tenderly. That's really good. Let's go to question number six. I recently discovered my wife was extremely untruthful about her level of promiscuity before we were married. How can we move past this and rebuild trust? Honesty, you're gonna be open. Um, I hope that you, know, you found out because she was like, hey, this is what's up, um, and not because of something else, but I would just tell you, it's gonna be honest, it's gonna be open, and it's gonna be slow. Uh, you just, this is where we are. Um, I, I shared this morning getting caught um, looking at porn. So what ended up happening? She already had my passwords, but she's like, double check. I'm opening up every account. What is it? My wife has every password to everything that I have. I do not have anything that she doesn't have a password to. Um, plain, plain and simple. And then I've got a accountability buddy. Uh, my internet at home runs through a private DNS and he can look at it and everything that we look at and everything that's on there. He has access to all of my um, phone as well. So forget what I can do on my phone. He's got the phone company. He's got my Verizon password. So he gets in there and, and he can find any and everything and, and, and we have that. And there, there's some stuff that because I broke trust, I go overboard trying to build trust. And she's, she can ask me anytime, anything, and, and why? Because I broke trust. And so it's going to be a bit of, you're, you're going to rebuild it, and you're going to rebuild it slowly. But the Bible says that love, in 1 Corinthians, says love believes the best. And so it's that this is what I do is I'm going to assume the best. And, and realizing that you can't control or remove every obstacle or force somebody to be honest or force someone to have accountability, they have to choose it. They have to choose it for themselves. And it's going to be a road that you, that you walk out. Yeah, I think, Daniel, I think you said in one of the panels already that forgiveness is given and trust is earned, right? Um, and I would just say, you know, Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Um, One of the things that helped me most, and we've had forgiveness back and forth. Like this is not, please, please know that he's just kind of the one bearing the brunt of of our marital issues today, but it's both ways. But one of the things um, that helped me the most was me recognizing the grace that I so desperately needed from the Lord. And when I got a good picture of how badly I needed the Lord's grace for my shortcomings, it became a whole lot, get, a whole lot easier to give out. Um, and so really, like, being tender and, and letting them know it's not, it's not fun to bring that stuff up, um, but we are a team, and seeing them as a child of God is, makes it a lot easier, a lot easier. Um, I can speak to this husband because if I would have met Tim three years earlier, when I still love Jesus with all of my heart, but the depth of my relationship and submitting to his lordship in my life three years prior wasn't there. So I probably would have still felt, okay, I'm forgiven, but still ashamed. And so I would say that I can understand because I might have been in that same scenario of not feeling so healed and so redeemed and so restored that now I can openly uh, let Tim know in our dating relationship what that I was promiscuous in my early like in my life before that, and so my heart goes out to this woman, um, and I think just taking into account you know that growth with your relationship with Jesus is a lifetime walk, and you get more free and you are able to get more vulnerable as you allow him in. But if you're, it just really is a measure of your closeness, you know, with Jesus, because nobody, you know, can judge me except for him. (laughs) And he's judged me wholly and he's judged me pure. 
and he's judged me redeemed, and that's how he sees me. So my chains were completely broken when I had met Tim, and I'm so thankful. But if I would have been three years earlier, I may have been in your wife's shoes. So I think just continuing, now that that's been revealed, just say, is there anything else? Like, just, I don't know, wash her feet in how you talk to her, you know? Like, talk about things. Open up that conversation. The door's been opened. Marriage is supposed to be the most intimate. Intimacy is in, to, me, you, see. So things have been opened up and allow that to be groundwork now for healing and for trust to continue to be restored. And one thing I would encourage with a situation like this, or honestly, a lot of these situations with your, with your spouse, like find a couple that's a little farther down the road that you trust, that loves the Lord and follows the voice of the Holy Spirit and sit down with them and say, hey, this is where we're at. You know, because when I honestly, when I read this question, um, I think because it says, I recently discovered my wife was extremely untruthful. So that means she she said something and maybe she thought she said enough at that moment. I don't know the actual situation, so I can't speak into it too much. But find a couple that can sit down and walk through this with you. And if you don't have a couple, there's a couple of them on stage that, that will do that. And we've also have a pastoral care ministry that you can reach out to that we would love to set you up with somebody that can help walk through that. Sweet. Do you want to try to hit one more quick question and then... We can close it out. Sweet. So how do I bring up issues without starting a fight? Great question. Don't bring it up when your other your spouse is hungry. I, I used to wait. I used to wait until we were having a little something. I'd be like, okay, well now that it's not going well, I have some things I'd like to talk about. Ammunition. <laughs> It didn't work really well, okay? Just so you know. If you're wondering, like, did it work? No, no. Um, it, it, it didn't work. So honestly, um, I think just, just to have those conversations, do what you need to do. Um, I've talked with so many people and asked the same question. I'm like, what do you do? And, and, and the, the answer that I got more often than any that I found is that every one of the couples that said, we know how to deal with this well, had a mechanism, a daily or weekly mechanism. Um, One couple said, we go for a three-mile walk. And he's like, even if we start fighting, he goes, by the time we get around to that three-mile walk is done, he says, we've we've had enough time, we've cooled off, and we've worked it out. Um, Other couples had something, something similar, like, well, we would sit down and we would do this every day. We'd have our coffee together, or we would do this. But it was a time that they had set aside and built in to their weekly or daily or monthly schedule that they would work out some of these issues. So it wasn't what I was doing. Now that it's not going good, let's, oh, let's, let's, just, let's just make it really bad and work everything bad out. <laughs> they, they had a mechanism built into their marriage because they knew we're going to have issues. And if we don't have some issues, maybe we just go for a walk and we hold hands a lot. Sweaty hands. Sounds great, right? Like, let's just do it. But whatever, whatever it is, but they, every one of the couples that did it well had something like that that they did on a consistent basis that allowed them to deal with the issues that come up in marriage. So I would encourage you, find one, have one, and bring it up in love. Because the Bible says, speak the truth in love. Like, you can just be like, I hate you. What? No, no. Or you can just be like, hey, I'm not, I'm not happy right now. I'm kind of feeling rejected because you can try to be nice. And I'm not the, the best one to say that because I usually don't. <laughs> I, I usually don't. I'm usually like, this just sucks and this is horrible. We didn't fix it. And it's like, oh, well, is that really how you feel? I'm like, yep, that's, that's it. Um, um, I'm really, really bad at that. But she, she puts up with me well. Um, if I can... Sorry. Okay. I was going to say, uh, I think of kind of two main things with this. The first thing I think about is like, you can't, you can't have a good conversation with somebody, anybody, when emotions are high, right? If emotions are like at peak, you're set up to have a really bad conversation. No matter, it could be about the type of cat you want to get. And it's not good when emotions are hot. So if you can, if you can have, I think the power of what Pastor Sam of this said is it's a neutral emotional playing field to have a conversation about it. So think that. The second thing I think about is like you're not your spouse's Holy Spirit 
and you're not the one that's going to force them to grow or force them to change. So have a conversation and set it out there. And then plug for married life. We just, uh, we just had married life this last week, Wednesday, and Dan Seaborn taught, and he taught about the power of praying for your spouse. And he said that even, he said this and I was blown away. He said, divorce rate goes from one in three for spouses. If they pray together, he said it's one in 1,052. If they, if they regularly, if a husband regularly prays for his wife or stuff like that. So spend some time just praying with them. And some of those issues might change without like needing to have major conversation. The Bible also tells us a soft answer turns away wrath. And one of the things I can tend to be a little more passionate (laughs) 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 with my wording of things and a couple of things that helped me to have our conversations well is A, praying God help me to see him the way you do. And also when we're in our conversations, when I'm wanting to speak, you know, the Bible tells us that we need to think before we speak. You know, one of the scriptures that go over with our kids all the time is I am slow to speak, slow to become angry. I am quick to listen. Now, we just confess that all the time. And that's one of the things where when we would have our conversations and there was something that was bothering me or there was something we needed to discuss, is I would pray in tongues under my breath. Like, okay, you know, like, Lord... Help me to say what you would say in this situation, because this is your child. You know, like I loved you guys talked about that a lot this morning. It's just this reminder that our spouse, our kids belong to the Lord. And that when I think to about, okay, I'm supposed to treat him the way I'm supposed to treat Jesus, would the words I say, would I say that to Jesus? And if I would say that, would I say it in that tone? You know, I don't know about you, but girls, I can get a tone. <laughs> And I have to be careful with that. You know, I don't want to talk to him in a degrading way. He's my best friend. He's my partner for life. And when we're doing that, we want to make sure that our wording choices and our tone choices are said in a way that brings honor and glory to the Lord. And that if he popped into our conversation, you know, I love what you guys talked about, you know, just remembering that God is part of your conversation, whether you like it or not. And when you think of, oh, Jesus is right here with us. How? How is that going to change how my words are going to come out? And a lot of times, just those little reminders of Jesus is in this conversation, this is God's kid, can totally shift the way that you come at a conversation and can totally shift what you're even upset about. And it changes from, okay, God, how dareth he to, Lord, help me to see this how you see it. Help me to see him in a way and this situation in a way that brings healing, that brings hope, that helps me to see things from his perspective and assuming the best. He's not a villain. He's not trying to make me mad or irritate me. You know, sometimes at the time of the month, things irritate me that don't normally irritate me. And sometimes for me, I just have to remember, this is a great time to be quiet. And that can be helpful. You know, all those little things help our arguments or disagreements. You know, we've never had a fight where we had to scream at each other. We just have these discussions, but it goes a lot better and I'm a lot less sassy with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) No, I think Sam and Becca said something this morning. They just said, if a couple will commit to doing it God's way, they can have a great marriage. And James 1.19, she mentioned Proverbs chapter 15, I forget the verse, but on the be quick uh, that a gentle answer or a soft answer turns away wrath. But in James 1.19, it says to be quick to listen and slow to speak. If we were to take our conversations and actually listen to each other, just to start with, because so often they get in there and as soon as it starts, it's going, yeah, I got more ammo than you. It's a shootout to see who can shoot fastest and people keep interrupting each other and the emotions keep escalating. But if we could be quick to listen... And slow to speak, um, and slow to become angry. Those conversations can be a conversation instead of a fight. Especially if instead of in the emotional high, it's a scheduled weekly time. Yeah. Um, we had to do that because I was trying to be like really diplomatic with this. I'm like, all right, I'm going to bring up an issue. Emotions are low. I'm going to bring up something. But if I just came to bring up something, she was holding on to some things to bring up just in case I brought something up um, and would um, start a shootout. And uh, what, what I learned going, okay, 
I'm like, well, why, when I try to talk about this issue over here, do you want to start an argument about some other issue over here? She's like, well, I hadn't talked about it yet. It's okay. I set an alarm twice in my phone for twice a week that says, go ask my spouse, go ask Amanda how I can be a better husband. And so then she wouldn't have opportunity to hold on to bags of crud to start a fight later. And if, if you're having difficulty with some of those conversations, if you start it and say, all right, I'm going to come to them and go, hey, how can I be a better spouse? You can run them out of ammo ahead of time. Um, because you've already committed going, oh, all right. That's not what I wanted to hear, but thank you. I'm going to work on that. Or how can I, how can I work on that? How can I help? And it's, it's amazing in our life that when we do it our own way, it's really easy to mess it up. It's really easy to get emotional, to, get, to lash out, and to create a problem. But with all of these different issues that we've covered, if we'll go, God, you guide me, you direct me, let this word be the map for my life, then we can see God's will, which is awesome. God has great things for our marriage. God has great things for our life. God loves you and wants the best for you. And that doesn't mean you get your way in everything, but it means that he cares. And as, as we talk about this, um, there may be some here who go, you know what? I have not been doing life God's way. I may believe in him. I may know all about him, but I have not made him the boss. I've not made him the Lord. Or maybe as we talk about stuff, you go, I have not received that forgiveness yet. And I want to give you an opportunity to receive that forgiveness, to make him Lord. He's got so much for you. Uh, can I get everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes? If you, if you have not made him your Lord, if you have not received that forgiveness, I want, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to, just, to raise your hand, to respond to the invitation that he has for you. And if you're online, you can just type in, that's me. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise up that hand and say, I, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Awesome. Who else says, I want to make, I want to receive that forgiveness. I want to know that I'm right with God and I'm away to heaven. Awesome. Well, we're going to say a simple prayer. See another one back there? Anybody else? The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we're going to call on his name. And whether you've raised your hand tonight or whether you say, hey, I've done that before, then go ahead and join us as we declare him to be our Lord. Say, God, thank you for loving me. Even when I make mistakes. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that you died and rose again. That your blood washed me clean. I choose to live for you from this day forward. I declare that you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you again soon.